LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Chandler Vinoy, here as always with Todd Adkins. And we are here with a familiar voice, one that you are going to recognize, and that is Daniel M. Daniel, how you doing? I am doing great. It's it's good to see you guys. I mean, I know it's the audio podcast, but we get to see each other. So <laughs> true. <laughs> nice. a, little behind the, yeah. a little behind the scenes there. Yeah. Good old times again. Yep. We should. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just I wish we had like buttons where we could play. The, I would wanted to play applause just then. <laughs> Cheering. <laughs> Daniel M's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, if you did not know, Daniel, uh, after he left uh, Lifeway, he went up to Canada and he is now the lead pastor at Beulah Alliance Church in Edmonton, Alberta. But he's probably most well known for being the co-host of the Five Leadership Questions podcast. Sure. And now for he's sure. back. So we are excited to have you here to talk about staff structure. And Todd, why are we why are we talking about this? Well, I mean, you know, in peacetime or in war, uh, one of the things that churches are notorious for is restructuring. And when you look at what's happened the last two years um, with COVID and people's response to COVID, um, there's been a lot of restructuring and reorg, or at least thinking about that. Um, Coming out of it or going back into it, we're not quite sure yet. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, a lot of people um, are still talking about restructuring if they haven't already um, or in a response to where they've been kind of saying, okay, we, we, we now um, are in a spot where we're pretty comfortable uh, knowing our terrain and given that clarity that we have, we need to restructure. So mm-hmm. That's what this conversation really is about, whether um, it's a response to something, either uh, a rapid growth or sometimes it's a staff change. I mean, sometimes you have a, a person that leaves your staff and it is disruptive enough or the lack of their absence, uh, the lack of the gravity of that person's personality causes you to rethink, oh, does it have to be this way or did we just make it this way because of this person or did, or, or did we just want to honor that person with their tenure and um, we don't need to hire that position in the same way or at the same salary or with the same job description um, as we did before. So that's what this is about. Cool. Well, Daniel, just to give uh, some perspective of kind of what you're speaking from kind of mm-hmm. where you're at. So we mentioned you are, up at Beulah. So just for, for those listening, just give them a little bit of a snapshot of what does, what does Beulah look like right now? What is the staff structure and how, how does that look currently for you guys? Yeah. So I uh, just finished a two year uh, under about a year and a half succession uh, lead pastor succession process uh, became the lead pastor back in May and the church is a hundred years old. We have about 54 staff members and pre COVID we're about uh, ranging about three to 4,000 on a weekend. Uh, now, you know, with online and in person, we're still trying to figure that side of it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so that's, that's a snapshot of the church. Uh, we're a multi-site church as well. Three campuses, uh, intending on going at least to six. Uh, we've plotted that out, uh, recently, uh, for our city and our, with our new vision statement and all that. So that's a bit of a snapshot. 
Awesome. Well, just to hop into the conversation, you know, somebody's listening, understanding staff structure. Why does staff structure matter? Is it really that big of a deal? Yeah, the interesting thing about staff structure is whether you have whether you're whether you've read the academic books about it from business world or church versions of it or or not, whether you've been intentional or not. The fact is you have a structure and you might be a solo pastor, yet you still have a leadership structure you might not call some of your deacons or elders or or core volunteer staff but you do have structure because that's how the world goes around uh, <laughs> i mean there's there's structure and there's systems in absolutely everything you're either intentional about it or you just let it happen and you're unintentional so staff structure matters because honestly if you want to scale and if you listen to the five leadership questions podcast or any of the stuff that that we've done in the past and that you guys are still doing i mean uh scalability is so important because I mean, our role as kingdom workers is to see God's kingdom advance uh, and to be a part of that, which does require scaling and churches multiplying and growing. So I, I would say it's it's super important because if you look at Pipeline, and again, if you've listened to this podcast for very long or if you've been to Pipeline, you know that it really comes out of a very McKinsey 7S framework. Your story, strategy, structure is the next piece. Most churches can align, uh, churches and their leadership can align pretty quickly around their story and structure, uh, story and strategy. It's when you get to structure and systems that the wheels fall off and the pitchforks and torches start to come out because now you're messing with people's day-to-day stuff. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, structure has a very, very... um, uh, big part to play when it comes to what your culture is, because ultimately if you went throughout that full framework of story, strategy, structure systems, you know, style selection, uh, the staffing, you know, if you go through all that, you would see a big part. Uh, those all play a part of shaping a culture, but structure is one that, you know, it's how people are grouped together. And people are the body. People are the church. And I like so, I like that definition of that structure is how people are grouped together, uh, because honestly, it really does come down to people, doesn't it? Like yeah. you can read all the textbooks. You can you can in from an academic side of things, you can be like, okay, yeah, here here is a fantastic structure for a church plant. Uh, if you if you if if you have one or two people there that don't fit whatever mm. that philosophy or framework was, it all blows up. Or you have one person who who actually wants to lead both areas because they're passionate. It's like it blows up that academic structure. So it it is it is you have to start with people, not the structure. The structure has to be fluid around who you have on the bus. You know Jim Collins, right? He always talks about the bus, um, and it, and it's so true because. I mean, even, even at Lifeway leadership, right? I mean, things you might, I mean, Todd, you might have this structure in mind, uh, but really it's more of, Hey, what is the end? 
and how is the structure going to serve the vision? And the same way we need to think about our church, right? What is our vision as a church? And then our structure then needs to come second, second to that and probably third to people. No, that's super helpful. I think so many times, like you were talking about, you must know your people. Like if you just, if you just read an academic book and go, okay, that is a strategy that I think sounds great on paper, mm-hmm. but then you don't even look at your people to see if they are wired in that way. Maybe like you were talking about one person lead multiple organi- or sides of the organization, or they should actually not be in leadership in that place is, is crucial. Now, one thing that you mentioned was, Hey, no matter if you are a solo pastor, small church, a large church, no matter where you fall into that, everybody has a structure. Um, how should a, small church, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it is like one to three people on staff. I think it's somebody might maybe listening to this and go, man, I, I love what these guys are saying, but that's just not my situation. Mm-hmm. So for somebody who is trying to build that out, maybe it's with a volunteer team even, but even just within those, uh, limited amount of people of structure, what are the differences between the large churches and small churches? And what are, what are some things that they can still know even from you, from your all's perspective? Let me, let me start with, um, something that might be contrary to what most people have heard. Um, I know we're supposed to actually, you know, I have that servant, uh, Jesus servant leadership, Jesus, <laughs> that's not the title of the book. Um, <laughs> Jesus is servant leader or anyways, <laughs> you know, it's we're Gene Wilkes, yes. Gene Wilkes, yeah. uh, Jesus on leadership. Jesus on leadership, right? And he talks about <laughs> servant leadership and, and yeah, you know, we are supposed to be servant leaders. Uh, Jesus is the head of the church. We are under shepherds and you might have the title lead pastor beside your name. Uh, and yes, you are supposed to be a servant leader. Having said that, when it comes to staff structure, you actually need to start with yourself. And I think that's where most churches get it wrong. When a church, um, if you're a church planter, yeah, it's easy, right? But even church planters get this wrong too. But if you're entering into an established church or a church where there's a staff that's existing in and around you, it's really easy, you know, as this, I need to be humble. I need to be a servant leader. What is everyone else really good at? What are their areas? I'll just kind of take the, take the leftovers, but really uh, in order to build a team that and, and, and a setting where you are going to thrive and the leader has to thrive in order for the organization to thrive, you need to actually start with yourself and discern uh, as the lead pastor or if you're a team lead as the team lead. OK, how has God gifted me? What is God calling me to? What are the things that only I can do? And what are the the areas that I, maybe other people can do it, but as the lead, I need to do this, right? You can't delegate vision casting. You might not be good at vision casting, but if you're the lead pastor, you can't delegate vision casting. So you're articulating a few things like that. And then you then begin, and that, and this, this applies for large churches, small churches. Once the leader of the department or the lead of the church or the leader in whichever area, even if you're a leader of a team of volunteers, you should still start with yourself and say, okay, you know, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? How can I build this role? And then let's build the team in and around me. Uh, and, and honestly, 
that that is that is that is the thing that most churches don't often do because we have this false perception that it's like no actually i need to serve others uh and that means i get the garbage and and they get the good stuff that's actually a bad dichotomy too uh when you actually have an organization and a team where you start and you build your role around your strengths your weaknesses are actually other people's strengths so you're not actually giving other people, it might be a weakness for you and you might not like it and it might drain you, but it actually, how do you find people who it fills them to do that? So it, it that's kind of shifting the, the paradigm a little bit. So <clears throat> I'm going to come at it from a, uh, a small church perspective specifically. So I grew up in small churches. I'm one of 13 sons and grandsons, uh, nine of which are in some type of ministry. Um, and so if you look at like my dad's church, my dad has been in the same church for 36, 37 years now. Um, and he was at two other ones, you know, when I was growing up, but there's some things that are pretty common there. One, he's bivocational, of course. So he's single staff Two. Um, he would tell me stuff all the time. And I'm so grateful to my dad for pointing to me out to me leadership lessons when I didn't even know what leadership lessons were. Um, but he would say things like, Hey, uh, I would ask him, why is this person, you know, a jerk? Um, or why is this person X? Uh, and he, he would say, Hey, you know what? You gotta, you gotta marry a few and bury a few before you can lead in Mm. a smaller church. And so in that context, you're usually not going to be able to choose the people. The people are already there. And a lot of times the people are already used to running the church. You know, the same three families are running the church. So I know there's plenty of people listening to this podcast that that's part of your story, even a mid sized church, um, or even a large church, sometimes even a legacy, you know, first Baptist, whatever. Um, there are families sometimes that are very engaged and involved and you got to almost pay your dues. It is a relational, relational role that you have in that regard. If you can switch out staff, great. Be careful doing that. Um, But like Daniel said, you don't want to just take what you got. Um, Especially, you know, you have a little bit of honeymoon period, but if you're three years in, you own everything, including the culture that you've created um, or allowed to happen. So with all that, with a smaller church in mind, I would say it still boils down to people. Paper and preaching cannot carry culture. They're a good reinforcer of culture, but ultimately people are carriers of culture. Paper is not carriers of culture. Preaching can be, yes. And it needs to start with preaching, but it can't stop there. Uh, And you can't just, you know, hang some lovely things up on your wall. Ultimately, it is the people that are going to carry that culture forward. So it's the selection of people that people that you put into leadership or allow to stay in leadership that ultimately will carry that forward. And so... (laughs) 
Yeah. That's and, and that's, yeah. So there's, there's honestly, when it comes to staffing structure, there's probably more similarities and differences between large and small churches uh, because the principles are the same, right? The principles in and around, okay, who, who are you going to build into? Um, who are you going to place in different positions? Um, how are you going to work together? What does good management look like? What does good leadership look like? And when you think about regard Regardless of the church size that you're at, if you think about scalability, uh, I know I know there are some people who are like, yeah, you know what, uh, you gotta you gotta you gotta staff, you gotta try to be like a hundred people beyond what you're at, or the next growth barrier bigger than you're at, and and staff toward that end. But if you go too much larger or way larger than what you're actually at over structuring can actually harm you. And that's a true, that's true for small uh, and that's true for large. So if they're, if, if you're a pastor of a hundred person church or a 200 person church, uh, yeah, learn from the communicators of a thousand plus but don't learn from their structure because <laughs> mm-hmm. their structure will actually choke your growth and it will, it will prevent you from growing because people are going to be like, what the heck is happening? Why do I need yeah. to do this process, this step, this, 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 and this before I can serve? <laughs> it's like, Oh, because you know, we, we need, we need safety. We need structure. Yeah. Yeah. But, but how do you simplify it? Uh, but keep the same principles so that you can then scale it as the organization grows. It, it has to, there has to be an elasticity there. It's like yeah, a pair yeah. of pants. Um, <laughs> your pants are too small. It's going to be a problem. If your pants are too big, it's also going to be a problem. Is that from your you're uncle going, too? You're going, to, <laughs> it <sounds like> it. <laughs> you're going to expose yourself either way. <laughs> Just saying. It's going to be a rip or your pants are going to fall down. You're going to expose yourself. Oh, and your leadership that's, that's, awesome. either way. That's, that's some old school wisdom right there. Yeah, yeah. It old school wisdom. They told me all kinds of stuff like, you know, don't start chopping on this tree until the wind's blowing in the right direction. Meaning <laughs> it will fall on your house as a leader. You wait until the, the, the opportunity is clear and obvious. The wind is blowing in the right direction. I know that sounds like, you know, you know what, you know what you need to do, Todd, uh, you know, there are those books like wooden on leadership, like John Wooden and, and you get <laughs> yeah. some of these like quotes. We got it. Like you are the king of Twitter and you got, and, and these sayings, you just gotta put up, put together a little board book on your leadership sayings. Uh, well, most of them are like tobacco farmers from Kentucky. <laughs> hey, that's that, okay. You know, there's an audience hanging, that'll you're, understand you're, them. You're, you're yeah. They, they drop some stuff and you're like, man, that was really good. I still remember that as an adult. Anyway. Well, we can't, we can't wait for that book to come out. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you were, as you were talking, um, one of the thoughts I had was oftentimes you're talking about how you can overstaff yourself. And I guess we don't have to chase this for too long, but when is the right time to say, Hey, this is a paid even part-time position versus yeah. a volunteer position? Because I've, especially with, with some smaller churches, I think oftentimes it's, and this goes actually for every church, not just small churches. Um, but it's, Hey, we need some, we need somebody who's leading in this area. Let's pay them part-time so that we can, we can give them a level of responsibility that we can keep them accountable to rather than training up a volunteer and letting them, you know, work out their giftings in that way. So when is the right time to say, Hey, we should hire somebody part-time versus raising up somebody as a volunteer. Okay. So 
Um, there's, there's a difference between when it comes to motivating someone, uh, there's what we call intrinsic motivation, uh, and motivational factors and extrinsic motivation. So in that exact situation, Chandler, uh, if you go too fast and if you jump the gun and pay a volunteer because you see they're doing a really good job and it's like, man, shouldn't we appreciate them and we pay them? What you're basically doing is you're, you're, you're unintentionally moving that person's motivation from an intrinsic, I want to serve Jesus. This is what it means to be a faithful church member. Uh, I have giftings that God has given me and I'm going to serve because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that is the intrinsic motivation for a heavily committed volunteer to give uh, to the point where you're like, oh my goodness, should I hire them as staff? The moment you pay them, research shows, research has shown that the intrinsic motivation gets destroyed <laughs> the moment you pay them because you have now moved them from intrinsic to extrinsic and now they are getting a paycheck and they will never put in as much as they did when they were intrinsically motivated. So number one, you just have to realize there is a dynamic that happens when you pay them. So should you uh, identify, should you ever offer a paid position to a uh, to a uh, to a highly competent volunteer that is serving. Yes, there are moments where you do that, but when they were volunteering to when they are getting paid, the job should be different. Hmm. The job has to be. You never pay someone after the fact for doing something that they've faithfully been doing. If you end up going like, you know what, we're growing. We actually need someone to fill this area. Here's a great example: children's ministry. Right. So you have a, or a worship pastor um, or a worship leader, right? So you're growing and it's like, Oh, you know what? We really need uh, like, we need to start two services. Um, but, but I don't really, I don't really know if there's anyone else that can lead. Like, you know, Donna can't lead both kids ministry service. She has a full-time job and all this stuff, but how do we do this? And, and, you know, John can't lead both worship services. It's, I mean, so much, how is he going to do that? So real situation. Um, if you want to start paying them because you have identified that they are not just a leader of others, this is going to pipeline, but you see them as now being a leader of leaders, then in that conversation, you're saying, okay, you know what? We would love to offer you a paid position, not to do what you were doing before because you were leading others. We want to, in our leadership pathway, move you to leading leaders. So in this paid position, it's actually different than what you were doing before. Yeah. I mean, I would still love for you to lead this lead worship or lead this area, but, but the, the paid position is not you doing ministry. You actually need to replace yourself. Um, and maybe they love doing it. And it's like, okay, that's fine. But that's volunteer time, right? That's like, we all work full-time jobs and we all give to the church volunteers and volunteers, you know, that's your volunteer, but the paid position is actually you recruiting, right? It's you coaching. It's you developing. That is the paid position. Um, and yeah, if you want to keep on doing that, I would love for you to do that. So that, that conversation has to happen. Otherwise you're basically, uh, you're, yeah, like you're, you're doing, you're doing something that's irreversible. 
Because once you start paying them, you can't ask them to volunteer <laughs> if, yeah, if you've paid them before. It sets the culture. Yes, it does. Did you, yeah. Your culture is either you buy leaders or you build leaders. Yep. It's one or the other. Yes, you do end up paying people in cultures that you build leaders, but it's because you have leaders of leaders of leaders. Um, so when you look at pipeline, you're looking at volunteer is leading myself and showing up and doing whatever job you gave me. Leading is leading others. And when you get to coaching, that is leading leaders. Now, in a lot of churches, they pay those people. I would say be careful even there. You mm -hmm. really need to um, have somebody who's leading leaders who lead leaders. That is like a paid position. And if they're spending, um, you know, more than like 15 hours a week doing it, um, 10 to 15, maybe, uh, maybe 10, but probably 15, uh, mm. because people would tend to overestimate their time anyway. But yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's capacity, right? It's when you see this individual and that's where the exceptions come. Cause you're like, Oh, okay. You know what? This person is, um, maybe, maybe I don't want to pay them for this position or pay them as a leader of leaders, but man, this person has so much capacity and so much potential that I'm going to have that developmental conversation. And it's like, okay, you know what? We're going to have a clear next three to six months. Here's the expectations. Here's the role. And yeah, you know what? And then it's, it's a constant trajectory of development. Uh, and if you frame it within that, uh, then then it's, it's actually beneficial to pay. Um, so use it, consider like think about paying people as a catalyst for development. Um, because if you think about it the other way, you're basically copping out. Right. And you're like, I'm not a good leader. And that's what a lot of churches actually do. They pay people because then they can boss them around and they can tell them to do things uh, because actually you're, they're not a good leader. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you should never have to pay someone to lead a ministry if you're a really good leader because you can motivate them. You can encourage them. There's int intrinsic motivation is so much stronger than extrinsic. Right. And that's where you see the staff culture to be like, okay, when you look at your culture and you look at who's around, are people doing their jobs just because of the paycheck or do they have an intrinsic motivation? And the bonus is they actually get paid for it. Right. That's who you want on your staff, not the latter. Man, that's convicting right there. And, you know, as you were even talking about that, I was thinking, you talk about scalability and who, who, on, who are you hiring? If you get a chance, especially if you have a limited budget, you get mm -hmm. five to 10 people that you can hire. Yeah. Do you want to hire doers or do you want to hire equippers? Yeah, and exactly. So many times we're like, we need this whole field every Sunday because it's stressful. Let's just go ahead and we're going to hire them part time. We'll just pay them a little bit. Well, it's like, well, there's half of one of your positions. And all of a sudden we talk about scalability, like you're not scaling even in your hiring because you're saying, I just need you to do something rather than I want you to lead out and equip these people. Yeah. And you've set yeah. that expectation for everyone. So, so if you hire, uh, if Mary is a great volunteer and she's putting in 10 hours a week doing some of the administrative stuff on, on, on the, for the children's ministry, she's a volunteer and you say, man, I want to bring her on then anybody that's working that amount of time or anybody that has a similar position, you're setting an expectation there and that will follow. Even if it doesn't right away, 
two or three years down the road and then wait two or three campuses down the road. If you end up doing campuses, you've made something that is not scalable or repeatable. You've set expectations um, everywhere. So all the campuses are going to want everything that, you know, is back uh, at the central location or the sending campus. So, yeah. So, so here's the unintended consequence because the example is brilliant Chandler. There are so many churches that I've seen do this and pastors that I know. I mean, I've thought about this too, right? Where it's like, Oh, you know, every week Sunday's coming and we just need someone to take care of the babies and, or in the kids. And it's just like, Oh, we just, wouldn't it be amazing if I can just pay someone and I don't need to worry about it anymore. And it's just off my plate. So you do that. You hire a doer. Now this person's leading and uh, they're doing, and they're, they're getting the job done and they're making some money while they're doing it. Now here's the unintended consequence. You then go to pipeline coaching, right? You learn about leadership path pipeline and, and you're like, okay, actually, you know what? They're, they're, they're a doer. They're not an equipper. So then you go to them and you're like, okay, you know what, you know what, Mary, uh, I really need you to, uh, find other people to do what you're doing. Cause I need you to be a leader of leaders. You know what the first thought is going to be in their head, job security. Hmm. If I find other people to do the same thing that I'm doing, that means I, I'm not irreplaceable anymore. And, but, but I'm, I'm depending on this now. Cause I got extracurriculars for my kids. You know, how am I going <laughs> to pay for their piano lessons? I yeah. can't. Okay. Uh, you know what? There's no one who else who could do this. I mean, it's really like, I, okay, I'll try to have some conversations. I'll try to do some recruiting and sh- shoulder tap people, but man, you know, Gee golly, I can't find anyone. So yeah. yeah. (laughs) Right. And that's the unintended consequence that ends up happening if you set that culture up. Yeah. And it's, as we've talked around this so much already, but like your staff cult, your staff structure totally impacts your staff culture and your whole church Mm -hmm. culture. Yeah. So just, just even, you know, if you're in that position right now and you're like, man, we were thinking about hiring part-time or or we are, we have a bunch of part-time staff just, just ask yourself, okay, if we had this amount of money to put towards staffing and we could just wipe the slate clean, not saying you should, we're not sitting here saying completely undo your staff, but just how would you handle that from, from scratch? And I think that'd be a good question to ask yourself from this. Yeah. Can I, okay. Can I give you like a, this is like a, this is a secret. I, okay. It's not really a secret <laughs> if it's going on the five OQ podcast. I hear this now. Yeah. You got you to gotta say it now. We all have, we all have master's degrees, right? We all have, we've all been to seminary. Uh, We are all pro seminary and pro academics, right? You know what though, when you're in that situation that Chandler was talking about and you're like, Oh, we're growing. We need to hire someone. Don't hire the doer, hire a recruiter right? Hire someone who instead of hiring three or four 10 hour positions, if you have a full, if you have enough room for a 40 hour position, don't hire three or four uh, 10 hour positions, you know, one for worship, one for guest services, one for groups and one for kids ministry, hire one person who is a master recruiter, right? Who can then as your right hand individual can actually then 
expand the recruiting ability and expand the ability and the competency and the capacity of everyone. And you know where, you know, you know, the best place to find those people. Uh, it's not actually the, the seminary. The best place you're going to find these individuals are in your church. They're the 25 to 35 year old people who are not making enough money they because they haven't made they haven't jumped in the career ladder in their in their in the marketplace to be making so much money that you can't pay them where the gap it's like oh you want to you want you're asking them to join your church they're actually going to be taking a hundred thousand dollar pay cut to go work at your church right it's too late by then it's it's too hard. But if you can hire a 25 to 35 or maybe even 25 to 30 year old who is maybe first, second or third year in their career, and they have a lot of competency around recruiting, hire them uh, and to, to do that, even if it's just for one or two or three years, and, and then they can discern their calling in that way and then go to seminary. That's a very helpful little secret that, that you shared there. Before we get back to the podcast, let's talk about time and how 24 hours never seem to be enough to get everything done. As a church leader for a growing church, you eventually realize that you can't do everything on your own, not well anyway. Your job is to be the visionary, but instead you spend countless hours on tasks that could easily be done and arguably done better by someone else. And that's where the powerful multiplying effects of delegation prove mission critical. Our friends at Belay, the organization revolutionizing productivity with their virtual assistant, bookkeeping and social media strategist services for growing churches, know the demands on church leaders all too well. In fact, their first client was a pastor and they've continued to serve them every day for the last 10 years. Belay is offering a free download to all our podcast listeners of their delegation worksheet and guide to help you determine what only you can do and what should be delegated so you can get back to what really matters, fulfilling your purpose. Just text LIFEWAY to 55123. That's L-I-F-E-W-A-Y to 55123 for your free download. You're now one step closer to reclaiming precious time every week to do what only you can do. Now, back to the podcast. Well, let's go to kind of the next concept here of staff structure. And, and you mentioned this, hey, you get to a place and Daniel, you kind of actually just went through this, not saying that you've exactly done this fully yet. We can dive into this, but you get there. Uh, you jump into a position, you realize your giftings and you say, Hey, this is not exactly set up in the way that it would really fit all of the giftings on the team. Or you step in and you just see some holes in the staff structure. When is the right time to reorg and restructure the staff? How often should that happen? When are the opportune times? Let's kind of just jump into the idea of, of reorgs. Um, so yeah, let's, let's hear it, Daniel. Okay. So reorging is not a silver bullet. Okay. <laughs> that wasn't a plug for the book. Um, but, <laughs> but, no, and, and I say that because honestly, I've seen churches go to a conference uh, 
um, go get mm. consulting and yep. reorging is their silver bullet. And what they're essentially doing is they're a copycat church and they're copying what that other person is doing, uh, especially because the, the, the prevalent wisdom out there is um, learn from a church that's just the next growth size or growth barrier than you, which is great wisdom. There's so much that we can learn uh, in that way. So you look at their org structure. I mean, I've done that so many times, right? And, and actually, uh, for example, when I was working on the reorg here, you know who I reached out to? One of your SLC leaders, Kevin Peck at Austin Stone, right? I've known him for more than a decade now. And I asked him, hey, tell me your structure. You guys are several more, several thousand larger than us. And, and, and you have more campuses than us. But how are you doing your structure? If I had tried to implement what they did exactly as it was at Beulah, it wouldn't have worked. Because their structure is a fruit of who they have on the bus. Now, there are principles that I learned from them, and we can learn principles from other people. But uh, if we are reorging just because we're not happy with uh, the results of our church and we're just copying someone else, that's that's the wrong time to reorg, right? And and I, it's 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 the it's like a bandage solution. So many churches turn to reorganizations as a bandage. And it's like, it's not working. Let's just rip the bandaid off and put another bandaid on. Let's do it. And it's just this really easy thing where honestly, in the first six months to a year, you're like, well, I don't actually, you know what? I don't have the same problems anymore. This reorg worked really well. Well, you know what? That's exactly, that's because you now have a new set of problems <laughs> or you're working through change management that you don't realize that all the other issues are down below, right? Um, we're working on a, a sermon series over this next year at our church where we're going to address suicide. Uh, we're going to address um, affairs, pornography, depression, some of these things that are just so prevalent, but particularly suicide, because it's just a rampantly increasing thing because of opioids and all that stuff. Right. Um, as I was talking to one of our counselors, one of the counselors in our church about this, he said something fascinating. He said, you know what happens when people um, cheat on their spouse? That affair is the medicine they are covering up the, the affair is a distraction and it's medication. It's a drug to soothe them for this other issue that they have. And when then they have the affair and they end up marrying that person, if they do, what's happened is they, they've actually married the drug, right? They've married the medicine. And when the effects of the medicine wear off, right? Because that's true of any drug. Uh, you need more and more of it to do the same thing. You basically end up realizing, oh my goodness, I don't, I don't like the person I'm with because I've married my medication. I've married my prescription. And it's exactly, that's exactly the same thing that churches do with reorganizations. They see it as a bandage. They see it as a medication. So don't do it too often. Um, but you have to, you have to do it when there's major changes like succession, right? You, you gotta do it because it's, yeah, there's, there's too many, there's too many. So when you have a staff member, a significant staff member that has moved on, right. Or even in our context at Beulah, we have a, a staff member who had served for 20 years and she passed away. 
We are not replacing her position as is our pastor of evangelism. What we are doing instead is we are creating three positions, part-time positions to replace in the meantime, as we are waiting and seeing how the dust settles. Uh, so that's, those are those opportunities where you got to reorg. Yeah. I mean, um, basically what Daniel saying, I would echo as, as far as, uh, treating the symptoms. A lot of times that's the way people treat the symptoms of really big issues in their church is about just doing a re- another reorg. And then they do one every three years mm-hmm. and it never gets any better. Yep. Um, so uh, the other couple of times I think that's uh, important to think about doing a reorg is when you've had either major growth or major decline. Yeah. Um, or COVID or COVID, <laughs> uh, or a pandemic, you know, that would be a case too. Uh, and, and so yeah. at, you know, Daniel's church was one of those churches. Kevin mm-hmm. Peck's church was one of those churches. Mm-hmm. Mariners, which has been mentioned on here. One of those churches that during, um, the height of the pandemic had a temporary reorg, had a temporary restructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes that may be called into play as well. Um, and it may be that, you know, uh, like in a lot of larger organizations, there's sometimes interim directors or interim people put into place. A lot of times that just means, Hey, this is a done deal. This person is, is, is going to be, you know, ratified shortly. But, uh, you know, anytime you have a temporary, uh, role to fill, you can try somebody out in that new role, uh, as part of your, your reorg. But those would be the couple other times I, I would think would be a really important, uh, time to think about reorg. You may, if you're really serious about your vision, uh, and you know, Oxano has come in or somebody has <laughs> led you through a vision process. Um, a lot of times people fail to reorg. And if you're a larger church, you need to reorg. Why? Because you might have an, a really good vision frame now and you've got your measures and, oh man, you've got all, all these things. You're, you're, you can explain this to anybody and it looks beautiful up on the wall. However, now you need to reallocate your resources, meaning your staff resources, what's announced from the stage, the people you have, both staff and volunteers, financial resources in alignment with that to get what you really need to out of it. And so pipeline actually is a perfect follow-up. Uh, to that because now you've got your story straight and that's where it all begins. Now look at your strategy, structure, system, so on and so forth. So those are the the essential times to reorg. Yeah, I'm glad you you added that last one. I was going to mention oftentimes when we when we change vision and where we're pushing all of our if we're going to say this from stage, we need to also make sure and everywhere else we need to make sure that the staff is moving in that same direction. There is also, you know, this has happened at Lifeway. I've seen it at many churches as well, where uh, you can go from a very siloed organization where let's just go to a church. It's like, well, student ministry, they only focus on student ministry. Uh, then our adults, they never talk. So they're in their own separate areas. Uh, but then there's also some where it's just a very flat organization where rather than siloed, everybody works together on everything. Is there benefits of maybe a siloed organization in certain ways or a, a flat organization or is it kind of dependent upon, of course, we said people, you know, circumstances. Do you guys have anything to say kind of on that? 
man, that, that is where you get that. That's where it's a big difference with size. So when you're in a small, when you, when your church is, and, I, and I'm not going to do the whole attendance thing, cause there's lots of work out there and growth barriers and all that stuff. But when you're smaller, uh, you actually do want, uh, you don't want a lot of silos. You want one team and it's, it's basically the lead pastor is leading and supervising the whole staff team over the different areas. When you're small, you honestly end up getting to a point where uh, the lead pastor recognizes, okay, you know what? I can't supervise everyone and preach and do this and do that. Right. And that's where most of the growth church, you know, church growth sort of experts talk about moving from being that shepherd to being a rancher. Right. And you have areas over different, you know, people over different systems and you have a team of teams in a sense. Uh, so then you end up getting to that point where as the church grows larger, uh, there's now not just one layer, right? Lead pastor and staff, you then actually have a leadership team and then you have staff under that and the lead pastor. So you have the, the you know, more layers, another layer rather than just that one layer. Uh, and then it gets to the point as you continue to grow where that actually would, act, you know, that becomes your barrier to, and you need to add another level. Um, so that's where there, that's kind of what I was referring to at the beginning where uh, there are some smaller churches that overstructure. And they're like, you know what, as a pastor, I just, I just want to preach. I just want to preach and I want to hire an executive pastor that does everything else. And you're a church of 200 people and you have four staff members. It's <laughs> like, that ain't going to work. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you can't, right. you're going to have a two headed monster. Like that's just, it doesn't work. You can have an associate pastor. You could call him the executive pastor if you want. Uh, but really it's, it, that doesn't work. You still need to be the lead or you're not going to be able to lead the church to where it needs to, be, needs to get to. No, that's okay. very helpful. So one of the ways to think about it, um, I wish you guys were farmers and the people listening were farmers because I would uh, teach about us about farming, Todd, aquaculture and, and different things. I mean, basically it's okay if those things are siloed, but they all need to be sitting in the same pool, mm. um, drawing from that same water that permeates, you know, through, through all, all the, like if you, Everybody has flowers, is a good lots analogy. Of flowers, like and and a kiddie pool. If you have four big pots of flowers in the kiddie pool, then they're all going to be, you know, sucking up that water from the same thing, and they have to mm. be doing it that way. Mm. I would say you want a think of a ziggurat, not a pyramid. A pyramid has a pinnacle at the top, and all the leadership goes to the to the top. Um, ziggurats are flat on the top, so you want a flat top ministry, you can have silos with a flat top. And the reason why you want it to be um, flat at the top is everybody at that level, at that senior level needs to have an understanding and viewpoint across all those silos. And then the silos themselves need to be drawing from that same uh, vision, value, strategy, and it permeates through their silo. But you can still tell you know, where that's from. I hope I'm making 
sense. No, that's very helpful. I, I had to Google ziggurat uh, <laughs> because I, I honestly didn't know what that I was. was. Ask it's him a, to spell it for those who needed to Google it. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a pyramidal stepped temple tower. So it kind of uh, looks like a, a pyramid. <laughs> yeah. Kind of looks like a pyramid, but it's like, it's flat on top. It's like boxes <laughs> on top of each other. <laughs> it's boxes on top of it. If you looked yeah. at, if you looked at a pipeline, it just goes. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Great. Well, you know, you mentioned Daniel, you mentioned size dynamics. I just wanted to share a resource on that. And like you said, there's plenty of them and you guys can also, you know, kind of just as we wrap up here, we'd love to just share if there's any resource that comes to the top of your head to share with somebody, but leadership and size dynamics by Tim Keller. If you just want to Google that, it is a phenomenal, we'll put it in the show notes as well. It's really a white paper, right? Yeah. White paper where he goes through the different Mm. uh, growth um, barriers, but he also says kind of how you should function within each of those. So that's very helpful. We also did a podcast, man, it was probably beginning of last year uh, before COVID who, who even remembers those days. Uh, (laughs) But we did a podcast uh, on staffing your church for growth. And we really pulled from uh, a book by Gary McIntosh. So that book is just staff your church for OG, growth. man. OG. Yeah, so, yeah. Went back to the old, the old books. Oh, there. Uh, super that, helpful. Book was, that book was written before you were born. So yes. So if you do pick that one up, it's going to be a little older. It's going to be dated. Of, yeah. But there's still some helpful things there uh, for principles. Any, any other resources that you guys would share uh, with somebody who's kind of looking through this topic? Everything leadership pipeline, man. Like when it comes to structure, like it's just, it's leadership pipeline. So I think design to lead by Geiger and Peck uh, is a great resource, but honestly, here's my conviction. Um, and this is actually why I wrote no silver bullets. Uh, it's, it's honestly, because I think we're, it's, too, and I fall into this trap too, but we too quickly go to other people's experience and wisdom. And we, we, we don't often actually just sit at the feet of Jesus, pray, wait, and listen and study our own context. And I'm, you know, I'm convinced that if we spend as much time, if not a little bit more to actually just study our context and to pray and to wait on Jesus for what he knows is best for our church context. If we just, if, 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 if all we did was did the same amount and just did that, this as, as you know, in the same amount of us reading other books and learning from others, then our churches are going to be so much more better for it. Imagine if we did it doubled, right? Three quarter of the time we did that. And then a quarter of the time, yeah, we got to learn, right? Otherwise you're going to be stuck in your own echo chamber. Got to listen to podcasts like this. Got to read books like the ones that were recommended. But man, I think we just, we got to study our own context and, and wait on Jesus for the answer. Mm, that's so good. While I'm sitting over here, recommended, you know, other resources, secular resources, Daniel's just like, Hey, let's go sit at the feet of Jesus, which is such a good reminder, man. It's such you a good reminder. That's so good, man. I think, I think that's a much needed word where we can just look like, even that you said, if, if I were to, if I were to call you up, Daniel and say, Hey, what are you guys doing up in, you know, Canada? And then just leave that conversation and go, that's what we're doing instead of stopping and praying and, and understanding, Hey, what's the context of my city, our people, mm, what do we need? Yeah. And, and not really hearing from the Lord. That is, we have to start there and or yeah. else we're going to, like you said, just copy other people and it's not going to benefit our church and our people. Well, so mm-hmm. 
Well, Daniel, thanks for joining us on this conversation about how to structure church staff. And for those listening, thanks for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful. Uh, We are wanting to do some more topical conversations where we're focusing on five questions on a topic. So if you have any thoughts for us or any topics that you'd love to hear, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter, shoot us an email. Uh, We'd love to hear from you about topics that you'd like for us to cover. And other than that. And I would say also guests that you're like, oh, because I know you have all listened to all the episodes ever for the last six, seven years or however long this podcast has been on. Um, but you know, like Keller's been on three times and Groschet, like it, like we, it's really awesome in that we've had a lot of great guests. Um, if there's a guest in particular and a question in particular that you think would go well, we would love to hear it. And we'll be happy to pass that along and say, hey, Tim Keller, you wrote a white paper on this. Come talk to us about it. <laughs> Love it. Well, we do hope this has been helpful to you and your leadership, and we'll see you next time.